you have a copy of God's Word, I would encourage you to turn to 1 Peter chapter 4. I would like to start by saying that in my humble opinion, I believe that when we look at Scripture the way that we have been doing, which is to go through the book of Peter part by part, God speaks more clearly, if I can put it that way, to us. We think of maybe an individual and a story that comes from that person's life that we find interesting. But when we see the whole story of that man's life and how that one story might have fit into it, it gives us a new and a fresh awakening to that truth. And as we've been doing through Peter, and also as Pastor John was doing uh, in, in not so uh, recent past, going through Luke, one part reveals another part, and it works together, and we understand. Pastor Doug last week finished up in chapter 4 at the end of uh, verse 11. And that part just like we started in our first scripture today, today, can be called a doxology, which is an expression of praise to God. And we think of those usually being at the end of one section or maybe at the end of a book, and it would maybe lead us to believe that that was the end of what Peter wanted to say or that those would, there would be those that would even think Maybe the rest of what goes from that point was a different book at one time. Well, we don't know for sure, but it is obvious from what we will be speaking of today that it is a continuation of what we've been looking at before, and it's a continuation of the possibility of persecution among Christians. And we have to remember that Peter is addressing Christians. We've been calling them exiles in 10 or more major churches throughout four providences of Asia Minor. From the first spread of the gospel, we realize that there's been hostility, <clears throat> there's been, even been violence toward Christians, and opposition in many places has been brought about, first of all, by non-believing Jews, sometimes by local officials, who are using it for political purposes, or it might be because false accusations from Gentiles themselves who have lost profits from the ab being able to sell sin to those that are around them. Even if Peter did not have recent news or actual accounts of current uh, persecution among churches and Christians, it is spread out in the area, and the apostle would write as though some form, whether it was formal or informal persecution, was possible to them. And as I look ahead a little bit in the book of Peter to the next chapter in 5, in verse 19, and it says, resist him, meaning the devil. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being, being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. This is Peter's focus, and it continues on. Persecution to Christians. 
We go back as far as in chapter 2, verse 11. Peter is speaking about Christians living in a hostile world. The theme continued and is most prominent ever since we've been in chapter 3. Only for the time last week that Pastor Doug was speaking about Christians in the end times was persecution, not the main focus. And we will see that it continues in our scripture today. So follow along as I read from 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 19. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but him glorify God in that name. For it is the time for judgment to begin at the household of God, and it, is, it begins with us. What will be the outcome of those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. First, we want to look at and make mention of suffering for faith is normal. In fact, we should expect it. It is going to be normal. And if you look down your kind of brief outline that you have in your bulletin, you will see that each one of the three things, the areas that I'm going to be speaking about today, start with suffering for our faith. But I want to explain a little bit what I mean by faith. It's more than just a feeling. It's our trust, our hope, our very life as followers of Christ. Faith is the defining thing in our identity to Christ. And really, it shouldn't come as any surprise, but it should look, we should look at it as a plan. Peter telling us that it should not be surprising, that it should be a plan, may sound difficult to understand. But first, let's look and see and understand whose plan it is. It's God's. Peter's letter and also this section that we're looking at today should be seen as the Christian's handbook. Not as an owner's manual, but as a handbook. Christians should be able to understand and look at this letter that we've been going through and see and understand exactly what is going to transpire in the life of a Christian. And what have we seen so far? 
how he caused, God himself caused us to be born again, chapter 1, our call to be holy, chapter 1, verse 13, a people of his own possession, God himself, chapter 2, verse 9, submission to authority, including submission in marriage, also in chapter 2, suffering for the king, for Christ, our call to uh, imitate the king, chapter 4, and this part, this chapter, this week of the handbook, suffering as a Christian. Peter's fond way of addressing his audience should catch our ear. In the Bible that we're using, it says, Beloved. In the time that I spent in some of the commentaries in the NIV scripture, it's called Dear Friends. And that phrase kind of stuck with me, dear friends. Because it made me think of my own parents. When they had retired, they decided to have dual citizenship, Michigan for six months and Florida for six months. And that retirement community that they lived in with the people that they got to know and also people that they really knew in the Bay City area that were there and had retired and done the same thing with, moved down there. Some of them they've known their whole adult life. But I quickly heard from them using the phrase, dear friends. It didn't sound that strange for my mother, but my father to say, we have dear friends but what I realized was they were in an area of their life that they have never been before. They have had the years of raising children and the responsibilities of a family behind them. They were away from their families, but they had individuals that were at the same station in life, and that relationship grew so tight. They loved those friends, and they openly called them dear friends. I believe that that's what Peter is saying about Christians that he wants to write to and inform about suffering. They were his dear friends. So, beloved, don't be surprised when trials come upon you. Peter's intent is not to give a checklist of those trials that are going to be uh, coming upon his readers. In fact, in this section of Scripture, the only thing that he even mentions that could be considered something that they have to watch for, out for is he said, if you are insulted. But wait, wait. What I believe that he was trying to tell his readers was advanced warning of suffering helps. It helps them, it helps us to be prepared for suffering so, what their so that their faith in ours is not threatened when difficulties arise. How many times in life would advance notice be helpful? Upcoming trials or suffering, something that could happen to us if we have advanced notice, 
I think about just traveling on the expressway. That sign that warns us for those months of the year, bridges are going to freeze first. You know what? That's a helpful piece of information. Wouldn't it be nice if every part of black ice on an expressway had a sign before it that said, watch out for the ice that's coming. There's going to be danger. But that's not the way it is. But that's what Peter is saying to his audience. But Peter does not know for sure who will suffer. And I believe that's obvious by what he says in verse 19. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will. Just the language in that statement says those who will suffer. He does not know. But God does, and it will be according to God's will. And who can know the full plan of God? But he does remind the beloved, there is no honor in suffering because of sin. It's one thing if we encourage, incur suffering because we are Christians, because of us exercising our faith, which should be an outward appearance of the holiness of God, but not so when we sin. Verse 15 says, But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. This is, the mu is much the same warning that we see previously in chapter 2 when it said, For what credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? If when you do good and suffer for it, you endure this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Two examples of wrongdoers are quite severe, murder and thief. But we must understand that there is no suffering in acts done like that, of that caliber, because civil law alone will make consequences for those actions. But Peter goes on to say that there's lesser misconduct, evildoers and meddlers. These are things that have a consequence in behavior alone. And I believe that it could even be done and perpetrated in the church itself. But it would bring no honor if we suffer because of those actions, no matter where they are. Peter gave good counsel then and we should heed it now. Peter's forewarning is this. Do not be surprised to see Christians experience trials and suffering simply because of being a Christian. So if Peter is informing us of possible trials coming our way, does that mean that it's all bad news? No. Even in suffering, God's work and our good <coughs> comes from, from it. Because, secondly, suffering for our faith has a purpose. And that purpose is, it's for our good. And there is more than one detail of those purposes. In fact, I have six of them, them listed. All should encourage and strengthen us, even though 
it can be part of suffering at that time. First of all, it prove our faith is genuine. Verse 12. It talks about the fiery trials that come with time and of testing. We would think about fiery trials as being something that is quite severe. We think of a car accident. And then there's the fiery car accident that's so much worse. But this isn't what Peter is speaking about of a fiery trial. The fiery trial is a refining trial. It is there to actually help and draw us closer to God himself. Peter's audience would know about refining and what fire does. And it makes me think about those first years that I worked in the car factories. And my job was to take wires, bring them together with coils of copper, crimp them together, put some soldering paste on it, and dip it in this soldering pot so that they would be joined together. Well, this soldering pot was always hot. It would have some of the uh, soldering flux on top of it, and you would have to take some of the top and bring it away because the impurities were there. And even from the, the solder itself, it would be being refined while it was heating. But the part that was taken away was of no value. It would actually pollute the rest of the solder, so it had to be removed. That's what Peter is talking about would happen in us as we see that coming about. And what does it do? What does it take away? It takes away our doubt, our sin, our uncertainty. It refines us. It draws us closer to God that we trust him. And what is left? A greater faith. Another purpose is It gives evidence of our union with Christ. Verse 13 says, But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering. Peter is showing quite a contrast between verse 12 and 13. In verse 12, he said that there would be shock to understand. Do not be surprised. And this one is rejoice. They are not polar opposites of the two but they are much different emotions if we think about them. He's telling us to rejoice. Christians share suffering because of their allegiance with Christ. The only reason that we we would even suffer is because we are united with Christ. This evidence can be seen by others. It should show that we are different People that have known us before and after we have come to faith should see that there is a difference in us. We are united to Christ. We are more Christ-like. But I think also it should be speaking to ourselves. We should know and understand in that union, being together with Christ, we don't have to fear the great liar, the devil himself. 
when he would bring doubt into our minds and say, are you sure that you're redeemed? Are you sure that you are one of God's chosen people? We don't have to worry. God is a God of his word. He has drawn us to himself. We are united with Christ. This is the now part of this joy. It's in this life. But the second half of verse 13 talks about something else. It is to increase our joy in, uh, at his time when he returns. All of this life is but a season. There is joy and there is pain. It should only energize us as Christians to have joy, as Peter says, in the hope of the future. Peter now combines rejoice and be glad together. And the two themes are reflected in the teaching of Jesus himself if we think of our, about Matthew chapter 5. Peter himself was a witness to this very instance that Matthew would record in chapter 5. Jesus has stood in front of the crowd and he has taught the Beatitudes to them who are blessed because of what in this life. And Peter himself would hear Jesus say, not only to his disciples, but to the crowd in general, blessed are you when others revile you, persecute you, and utter all kinds of evil against you, falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Rejoice and be glad because of what? Because of our reward in heaven. The reward is eternity with Christ, and that should strengthen us. Also, the spirit of glory and of God rests upon Christians. Verse 14. We have been seeing that suffering has a purpose for Christians. That's in the middle of... Uh, that in the middle of whatever happens, God is with us. Peter says that men may insult us, even want to harm us, but we are blessed. How can Peter make such a statement? Peter point, his point was that Christians were blessed because they even now, in this life, have the glory that would be theirs at the end of time and the gift of the Spirit even now resting upon them, resting upon us. We think in trials. We think in suffering. Even the weight of this world is on our shoulders, pressing down on us. But to counteract that is God in his presence, his Holy Spirit, his glory is upon us. He lives in us. Suffering for our faith has, has purpose. Because of it, we should be glorifying God. Peter calls them Christians, followers of Christ. There are those that mention in commentaries that they wanted to use the term Christian, which really means followers of Christ, as little Christians, little, little Christs, excuse me. 
I don't think that that's right. First of all, it makes Christ too small, and it puts us on a level with him. I think it's accurate to say we are followers of Christ. Even in God's word, it calls out a group called the Herodians. Who were they? They were followers of Herod. This is the same way, the same analogy. And their actions should, bring, should not bring shame to Christ. I've spoken of this before. In some cultures, shame brought to a family is a terrible thing. It should not even be thought of. Nothing should ever be done that would bring reproach to a family or to the senior member of that family. We have to understand the same about Christians. Nothing that we ever do should bring shame or humiliation to the God that we serve. But also, they should not be ashamed or deny Christ before unbelievers. Those that would be ashamed would be guilty of apostasy, which is a false statement of faith. We must continue to give witness of God in our lives openly to unbelievers. By way of contrast, believers uh, glorify God by confessing and praising his name publicly, and we should glorify God because of that name, Christian, follower of Christ. The final purpose Increase our trust in God, verses 17 and 18. Wayne Grudem would write, The refining fire of judgment is leaving no one untouched, but Christians are being purified and strengthened by it. Sins are being eliminated, and the truth in God and holiness of life are growing. That's what happens. That's what it's speaking of in this text. It talks about in the household of God that there's refining coming about, that Christians are even being drawn closer to God, being more Christ-like. That's called sanctification, that continuing walk that we do each day in our lives. That's what the refining fire does to believers. But what is the outcome to those that disobey? It's not a refining fire. It's a, re a fire of eternal destruction. They will be separated from God for an eternity. They will know that he is Lord and King of all, but they will not have the reward of spending an eternity with him. They will be in the eternal destruction. So we've seen suffering for our faith is normal. Suffering for our faith has a purpose. And lastly, suffering for our faith is God's will. At first, this may sound harsh, that it would be God's will but I think that we have to understand exactly what this means. We do not serve a God that does not want to give his children every perfect and rich gift. 
the scripture says very adamantly that he wants to give us the desires of our heart. And it does not mean that in the middle of suffering, we should be seeking or doing it according to what we would think his will is. No, it implies that at times it's God's will that we do suffer, but no better comfort in suffering can be found than this. And that is, God's good and perfect will is at work in our time of suffering. It's for our good and for his glory. We have the knowledge to know, because it is in God's will, that there is a limit, both in the intensity and the duration, and a limit set and maintained by God, a faithful God that cannot lie, that does not break his covenant, that we can trust completely, a God that is also our creator, who has spoken everything into existence, who loves his creation, which is humans, and has a great love for them. He is the savior that has made the way possible for a rebellious generation to be brought back into a right relationship with him. He is the sustainer of all that there is in this world. Nothing happens by happenstance. Nothing goes past what he allows. And he is a loving father that draws unto himself his children. And Peter reminds his beloved, his dear friends, Christians, to respond to trials by doing what? By doing good. Our time of trials, our time of suffering should not lead us to want to be revengeful, to act in anger, or to even act in a way that would bring shame or reproach to the God that we serve, but to continue to do good. This is another part of Peter's handbook to Christians. We should wear the badge of uh, being a Christian with honor. Our Christian life during the times of fiery trial will refine, strengthen, and bring us closer to God in love and adoration for what he has done in our lives. But we also know the name Christian comes with a responsibility. Christians must conduct themselves even in trials and suffering in a manner that gives honor and praise to God, to God alone. Let's pray. <coughs> Heavenly Father, we know that our strength and our hope in the middle of trials and suffering comes because of only one reason that Christ would willingly take the penalty of your wrath for our sin and obediently go to the cross and have victory over the grave Lord we thank you for that we thank you for that relationship of love between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit that we see that you were the one 
that would draw a people to themselves, that you would be the one that would take on the suffering that was maybe to, maybe to humans as unbelievable. Lord, this week we will be looking and seeing and remembering that again as we look at your word, how brutal it was. But even more than that, Lord, how you turned your back and could not look upon the sin that was being dealt with on the cross. Lord, I pray that we find ourselves to be worthy of that badge of honor of Christian. That we do not wear it to bring honor and recognition to ourselves, but only point to a loving and merciful God. But it also sustains us in those times when you refine us through those situations in this life. We ask these things in the name of Christ himself. Amen.